Welcome to the GBC Sermon Podcast, a weekly podcast from Gaimia Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. I'm Mark Rader, Senior Pastor here at GBC, and I hope that wherever you're listening from, you experience a sense of unity with the church around the world. This week, we interrupt our series in Hebrews to have a conversation with Karina Kremensky, the co-director of Neighborhood Matters, a ministry dedicated to helping Christians be salt and light in their community and to learn to love their neighbors. This is an extended interview where we ask Karina a whole bunch of questions wrapped around Neighborhood Matters, uh, her journey to, in, into that ministry, and also how we can more effectively be salt and light in our communities of faith. I'm sure that you'll be blessed by what you hear and challenged to act differently in the weeks to come. Hello, church. Today's Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, I'm reading from the New International Version, and you'll know this reading as the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and... Love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Uh, well, I'm here with Karina Kremensky, co-director of Neighbourhood Matters and a longtime colleague and friend of mine. I first met Karina, well, I think probably decades ago now, uh, when she was the associate at Cherrybrook Community Church. Uh, and uh, I was uh, an associate here at Gaimia, and we've maintained our friendship through several changes of position. Uh, Karina was the senior pastor at that church for a while, and then we were both colleagues at Morling College and have continued our friendship to this day. So, Karina, thank you so much for being with us today. 
No worries. It's a pleasure. Lovely to connect with you, even though I can't see everybody. It's just nice to imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'll sort of imagine as well, to tell you the truth. So it's uh, it's been a little bit of an imaginative experience. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a little bit about Neighborhood Matters. Uh, for those who have never heard about it, and I think that would probably be many of our, our congregation, what is Neighborhood Matters? So Neighbourhood Matters is exactly what the title says. Um, we believe that the neighbourhood matters. Um, so we always say um, that radical things begin to happen when instead of asking the question, God, what are you doing in the church? We ask, God, what are you doing in the neighbourhood? Um, that doesn't mean you don't ask, God, what are you doing in the church? But once you begin to ask, God, what are you up to in the neighbourhood? Um, how can I discern the presence of God in the neighbourhood? Things begin to shift in a church. A church begins to um, look outwardly, and that actually actually influences the, the structure of the church and the vision of the church a lot of the times. And so what we're saying is that um, neighbourhoods matter to God. Um, the world matters to God, society, culture. But we want to um, sort of make it small and say so your geographical space, that space that you live in, is something God has given to you as a Christ follower to steward. And so wherever a church is placed in that neighbourhood, we believe God has given that church stewardship over that, that area. It's that old um, sort of parish mentality that, so for example, Anglican churches still use that language. Um, you're not just... Um, uh, you know, the, the minister or the leader or the Christian in the church, you're the leader, you're the minister, you're the Christian in the parish, in the neighbourhood, and you're known in the neighbourhood uh, for being somebody who represents uh, God. So that would be, I mean, to kind of use denominational language, to take the parish language of you yeah. know, the Anglican system and to overlay uh, the Baptist priesthood of all believers of course, kind of makes that kind of intriguing, doesn't it? To, yeah. you know, that everyone is a man or woman of the parish. Yeah, that's right. And um, in terms of priesthood of all believers, of, um, believers using our gifts not only in the church, but also called to use our gifts more broadly than that. We use our gifts in the church, but God has given us those gifts to use actually um, in the neighbourhood. So, for example, one example is, um, you know, when I was pastoring in the church, um, my calling was to come alongside of people and just often listen to them when they're going through difficult um, times. And uh, I'm using that gift exactly in the neighbourhood. Uh, people know me as somebody who is a believer and uh, they come to me uh, when they're having really um when they're struggling a lot and they tell me their issues and I find that I'm sitting down having cups of tea with people talking about, you know, what they're going through in life, which is what I was doing when I was pastoring. So it's using your gifts as well in, in the neighbourhood mm, and seeing okay. that that's a God-given thing. Yeah, great. And where is your neighbourhood these days? So I'm in Surrey Hills. Um, I've been in Surrey Hills for, um, I think it's coming up to five years now. Okay. And that decision to move was in relationship to Neighbourhood Matters? I moved into Surrey Hills because uh, I always felt that uh, God wanted me to move closer to the city. That was just something that had always um, sat well with me. Um, and when I finished up my role as pastor at Community Life Church Cherrybrook, um, I felt like God was calling me to do something different in the city. And so when I sort of did some prayer walking around, the, there's 10 different villages in the city and one village is called Surrey Hills. And when I, when I sort of did some prayer walks around this area, uh, I really felt 
like I could connect here. So every time I sat down, had a cup of tea at a cafe, somebody would talk to me. Every time I sat in a park and I don't know, it, people would talk to me. It was very, it had a villagey sort of community feel. I thought, I think I could actually get to know people in this community and uh, use my gifts in this community. And the more I prayed about it, the more I felt a confirmation. And then the final confirmation was when I bought a unit here. And that was quite miraculous in the way that happened because I didn't think I could afford it or, and I didn't think I could, I could, you know, um, I didn't think the auction would go well actually, but, but it all did. And so for me, that was a confirmation in the end. I thought, okay, this is where God wants me to be. So it was, it was, initially it was to plant a church, but then God sort of changed my mind about that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we've, you've just sort of, you've sort of touched on some of the final confirmations of that, but one of the things that we, one of the ways that we talk about that experience yeah. at GBC is, you know, responding to the invitation of God. Mm. Um, can you kind of take us back just a little bit further? So you've given us a bit of a confirmation, the confirmation pieces of, um, you know, that sense of, you know, people chatting to you in parks and cafes and, mm. you know, the, the way that the auction went and all of those sorts of things, which, which might border beyond confirmation to the miraculous. But um, what was it that, uh, like, when did this invitation first get kind of birthed in you? I mean, you were the associate and a senior pastor mm. at a suburban church for a quite a long time, yeah. and then a faculty member at Morlean where you oversaw the Masters of Missional Leadership uh, for five years. You were doing doctoral studies in that period of time around discipleship. Like, where was it that this sense of neighborhood matters, kind of lowercase? Mm. Uh, wh- how did that kind of first show up in your life? So uh, I think often the way God speaks is when one door closes and you begin to feel a space. Um, and Richard Raw, uh, who's a Franciscan priest, talks about a liminal space. And so it's a space where you're not what you once were and you're not quite yet what you are going to be. You're in this in-between space. And so often God speaks to me in those liminal spaces. All of us go through liminal spaces quite, quite frequently, but I was going through that uh, uh, you know, five, six years ago. And I felt like doors were closing for me in terms of my role as a pastor at Community Life Church Cherrybrook. I was beginning to feel like my primary um, call was to look after um, church members, but that wasn't my initial call. My initial call was to work in outside the church and help people understand the beauty of Jesus Christ. And I just began to feel like my um, there were things closing for me at Cherrybrook and I was beginning to think, but what was my original call? What, what's always been sitting there? And it was that. It was to let non-Christians know about the beauty of Jesus Christ. And so as things began to close for me, I sat in that liminal space for a while while realising there's something at the back of me that's still sitting there about the beauty of Jesus Christ in the world. And so I thought, you know, this is a great opportunity to make a major change in my life. And um, and because I did have that sense of I always wanted to um, be in the city, I just started praying. It was prayer walking. It was just prayer walking and just getting that growing sense of confirmation, you know, a feeling of this is right, a feeling of there could something could evolve from this, something could merge, uh, something could emerge from this. And so it was quite a long process, actually, because it involved also me doing my doctorate around the missional church and um, beginning to sort of realise how passionate I was about um, 
the church having its primary focus in the culture uh, rather than on itself. Um, and so much of what we do about around church is about ourselves, which which we have to do. But my, I was just aching for people who were outside the church, who I, I felt sometimes like, you know, we have these amazing gatherings and they're so beautiful. I go to churches quite often and preach and I love going to church. I just always have a beautiful experience. No matter how broken the church is, I always think it's beautiful. Um, but my heart still ached for those who are outside the church who, you know, weren't getting a taste of that. Uh, for whatever reason. And as we know today, people in the world, especially in the West, are very, very cynical about the church. And in Surrey Hills, they're exceptionally cynical about the church. They will not walk into a church. Um, and so there was that, that growing sense of uh, call, again, that, was emer- that had been squashed and that was emerging for me. And the confirmation came the more I did prayer walking, the more I talked with people, the more I prayed um, to God. And being, like I said, in that liminal space mm-hmm. where Richard Raw likes to say that it's chaotic, it's messy, it's uncomfortable, but it's an opportunity for the spirit to do some deep work and to bring mm-hmm. about change in your life. Mm, yeah, that's great. Thank you. Um, you know, you, you talk about the liminal state, you know, you're no longer what you were, yep. but you're not, you haven't yet arrived, you know, and there's, and that happens lots, you know, between, you know, transitions between work and you think about, you know, the teenage years, you know, you're yep. not a child, but you're not an adult. Yep. Uh, some of those sorts of spaces, you'd have to say that the kind of the situation that we're in right now, particularly as a church, but I think also as a, as a wider culture with the coronavirus is a little bit liminal. Mm. as well like it's i'm not i can't remember the words you just said but chaotic sprang out right (laughs) you know like there's a whole bunch of stuff going on now and and there's a bunch of suspicions that um what we go back to will not be what it was right that it's not going to be you know from a you know to this weird space and then back to a that we are in a liminal spot moving from a to b Mm. uh and in this kind of crazy patch uh, I mean, let me ask you a couple questions about that. I mean, let me ask you first, where have you seen God at work in your neighborhood during COVID? Mm. Uh, and then I'll follow it up. And if you forget the question, I'll ask it again, because I know how that can happen. Um, what do you what do you suspect or what do you think might be in store for the church? Universal, mm-hmm. uh, but particularly in, in Australia. Mm. in terms of what's next for us, what might we be moving to? So let me start. Where, where have you seen God at work in your neighborhood? I mean, because neighborhoods have changed quite a bit. That's right. Of, you know, how they interact. So That's right. There. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? I wonder if a lot of people have experienced this, but what I've experienced in my neighborhood is just that sense that people um, are hungry for connection. Um, and even though, you know, we saw ridiculous things like panic buying at the shops and a lack of toilet paper and all of those things that's going to be etched in our minds forever um we also saw people reaching out and wanting to connect and wanting to help and so that's what i saw in my neighborhood you know people putting encouragement cards in one another's letterboxes i um am on the board of the local community center and so what we did there is we um provided Um, resources for people if they were um, struggling, particularly people who are experiencing homelessness. Um, Those who, for example, couldn't access their medications, they were bound up at home, Um, medications were sent to them. 
um, there were all sorts of things that were organised in community centres or, or the like in our area to really um, come alongside of people, especially the vulnerable. Um, I also felt like it enabled us to slow down a little bit. Um, and even though there was that sort of suspicion in the air of, you know, I can't get too close to you, um, there was also that ache and that longing, I think, for wanting um, to connect. So you did see that as well, even though you saw that that hesitation. I think you saw people wanting to connect. Um, and so as I walked around, um, I'd still see people, you know, everybody was exercising and walking their dogs in the dog park. So you'd see people, you'd bump into people, you'd maintain your social distance, but you'd always be asking, you know, are you safe? How are you going? How are you doing? Are you struggling? You know, how can I help? Um, we, we, you know, freely gave some of our neighbours toilet paper because they didn't have any. You know, it was that kind of thing. What can I do for you? Are you okay? Um, our next-door neighbours work in um, the aged care sector. And so we were asking them, sending them cards, you know, good on you for what you're doing, your frontline workers, your, your heroes, thank you so much for what you're doing. Are you okay again? Um, and so there was – it was funny, we were physically distant – but I think people were still connecting in, in other creative ways. People, um, you know, standing on their front um, yards and just talking with their neighbours, again, out in the air, so um, physically distancing, but still connecting. Um, and, and everybody's talking about this same thing that we're all experiencing that we can't believe. How did we get here? You know, and so it, it, for me, it's connected our community so much. Um, I've seen so much kindness. Um, and I've also seen people really reaching out, especially to the vulnerable, um, especially because we, we have a lot of people who experience homelessness here and, and have mental health issues and we have an ageing community here as well. And so there was a lot of um, uh, reaching out um, to those, those communities as well. Mm, that's great. That's great. And kind of to follow that on then, what do you, what do you suspect, you know, you – you know, because you you're quite thoughtful about what you do, and you know you felt that God's kind of led you into this space, and so there's kind of a different level of engagement here. And you're thinking about the church and how the church can be involved in the neighborhoods. How, what do you think that COVID nineteen might lead to for mm. the church across Australia? Like, what do you like if you had to guess at two or three things that might really significantly change? I'm not sure when post-COVID will happen, but you know, post-COVID. Yes. Uh, what 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 might what might you what, what might you suggest? It's a great question, and um, we're running a few webinars uh, with Neighbourhood Matters on this topic, and um, we've had a lot of leaders. Um, attend these webinars because it is the question that everybody is asking. You know, in times of upheaval, um, firstly, in times of upheaval, we need to look inward and and also we need to ask, well, God, what are you doing in this time? What are you trying to teach us? So, you know, a lot of people are using the word apocalyptic. We use that word when um, the bushfires were on and we're using that. Even people who aren't Christians are using that word. And, and we know, don't we, that apocalyptic um, has the meaning of unveiling. Um, so that sense of there's something being unveiled here. And so what's being unveiled? What's being unveiled in me, in the church, um, in the world? What, what's being revealed here? What are we seeing? Um, so what are we seeing in the world? We're seeing, you know, um, uh, climate change um, occurring and 
the effects of that being minimised because we're not flying around or driving around as much now. This is a good thing. Um, this is what we want. People are working from home so we're not driving um, as much. So people are connecting more with their families. People are in their neighbourhoods a lot more. Being a, people are being more place-based a lot more now. This is um, a good thing. People are connecting with their neighbours a lot more, doing random acts of kindness. Uh, the church is thinking, what, what are we? Who are we? as the church if we're not gathering every Sunday? Is the church still the church even though it does not gather every Sunday? Well, of course it is. You know, it's made us say, of course it is. But what does it look like? Mm -hmm. And so the emphasis at this time is more on the scattered church, isn't it, rather than the gathered church, even though the gathered church is so important. We need to gather to hear the stories of Jesus Christ, to be framed by those stories and shaped by those stories so that when we do go out in the neighbourhood, we know what to do, we know what to say, we know how to frame things. So it's important. But at the moment I feel like God is saying, scattered church, you are still the church even though you don't gather maybe every Sunday. Um, you're out in the community, you represent me, um, you are still uh, the presence of God wherever you go in your neighbourhood and people are longing to experience the presence of God through you and for you to point out the presence of God uh, in them as well, which is what I often like to do. I often have conversations with people who aren't Christians and I'll often say, you know, that could be, I wonder if that's God talking to you and they'll be taken aback and think, how could, why would God call, talk to me? I, I don't go to church. How could he talk to me? I, I don't believe in that stuff. And it's just making people think that actually God could be trying to communicate to you, um, with you. And so, yeah, I, I see a lot of opportunity uh, at the time. And I see a lot of revelation, a lot of unveiling. Things are being revealed and people are, are asking good questions. And I feel like there's a reframing happening uh, for the church. Uh, a follow-up question. Are you... Are you glad that you're not leading a church now or would you like to be leading a church? <laughs> I think right it now? would be so hard leading a church right now. Um, when I was a pastor, um, you know, I felt like I had to give the answer to everything. That was very much the wrong thing to believe, uh, but that's what I thought. And I found that I was constantly um, stressed by needing to meet people's expectations. And I can't imagine what pastors are thinking now when they're actually functioning more as producers than pastors. You know, they've got to put this Zoom stuff online every week. And so, and a lot of them aren't used to that and aren't experts in that. And it's draining them. And they feel like, again, they need to do this well because they're pastors and they're the solution to everything. <laughs> and so it, it would be very stressful. All right, so I'm going to take that as a, you're glad you're not a pastor now. <laughs> I'm certainly glad that I have people who have production skills. Yes, right. So I don't have right. to answer them. <laughs> yes, right. Well, let me, let me kind of lean into the kind of the practicalities of some of this stuff. Um, so what would you say to someone, you know, um, a regular Christian who listens to you and, you know, and, and as I was listening to you talk about your sense of call to... Um, to come alongside people and to you know, show them uh, where God's at work and uh, to display for them, you know, and point them to Jesus. It, uh, one of my, I guess, one of my justifications, if that's the right word, would be, oh, well, she's obviously an evangelist uh, and that's not my gifting, right? What would you say to kind of a regular ordinary Christian who doesn't see themselves as, as, as particularly gifted evangelistically, um, has never found that particularly 
easy or simple or it doesn't happen to them very often, what would you say to them about the invitation of God to be present in and directing people towards the presence of God in their own neighborhoods? I think we need to remember that being the presence of God is really important. Um, It works in parallel with speaking the word of God, but being the presence of God shouldn't be um, marginalized. Uh, And I think we do that. I think we emphasize speaking the word of God, being the evangelist so much that we've marginalized being the presence of God. And so we all carry the presence of God with us. And so when you do an act of kindness in the neighborhood, when you do an act of peacemaking um, in the neighborhood, if there's some kind of conflict um, in your neighborhood, when you engage in an act of justice in your neighborhood, when you learn your neighbor's name, that's a very humanizing thing to do. Um, You are being the presence of God and that has power, that has strength, that is evangelistic without the words. And it can sometimes lead to words. Um, Often it will because people will ask you, why do you do this? Or why are you doing that? Or how is it that you have peace in these times? Or, you know, those kinds of questions. People are longing for that. And then you can say something like, well, you know, I go to church or I believe in Jesus. Or it's, it's, it comes quite naturally. You know, in this day and age, um, we need to embody the love of God before we speak the words of God, because people are very cynical as I said about the church. And so actually being the presence of God uh, gives people that trust that you don't have an agenda, um, that you're not out to, you know, convert them or anything. You just want to love them. And then, you know, they will begin to share with you some of the stuff that they are struggling with. Um, So it's about, you know, connecting with what good things are already happening in your neighbourhood. So doing some research about what is going on in your neighbourhood. What's the local neighbourhood centre up to? What are they involved in? What are the signs of brokenness in my neighbourhood? What are the signs of life? What are the signs of death? Um, what are the pe- things that people struggle with? What are the stories that are not being told in my neighbourhood? Who are the vulnerable people in my neighbourhood? Doing a bit of that exegesis, that analysis of what's going on in my neighbourhood and then joining in with that, saying, Instead of, you know, starting up a new project, I would suggest, first of all, joining with what's already happening, no matter who those people are, um, joining with them and helping and saying, I'm here to serve, I'm here to help. Mm. Um, and that often leads to other things, um, I think, as well. So it's very small things, you know, it's very ordinary ways of experiencing um, God and practising um, the presence of God. Um, so so ordinary that... You don't have to be an evangelist to do them, I take it. Right, that's right. I don't think that at all. Yeah. Yeah, you just really need to do those small acts. Mm. Well, before we just before we get into the the small acts, uh, you very kindly gave me a copy of your book, Urban Spirituality, um, on the proviso I read it, and I did. Uh, and uh, uh, one of the things that I remember kind of reflecting on is distinctions between urban spirituality, like in the city, and suburban spirituality. And I don't know if you've done any additional thinking about what that looks like, but like, you know, we're in the suburbs, that's different than the kind of the village approach where people tend to be a little bit closer together, more units, all of those sorts of things. Can you kind of, um, I guess, uh, give some really quick distinctions between urban and suburban? Yeah, and so, then and then what that looks like for us in the suburbs. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they feed off each other. I think these days, and even if you do some um, a preliminary look at the literature, you'll see that people have a hard 
time defining what urban is these days because they feed into each other. Mm. Um, but urban spaces are usually characterised by high, high density, more concentration of people. Um, public transport is used or people walk places. There are more public um, spaces where people hang out. And so what I see in suburbs is that you drive everywhere, whereas in, in the city you tend to walk um, everywhere. Um, people tend to invite one another into their homes in the suburbs. In, in the city, people go out and they meet out because homes are too small quite often. You're in a unit, so you tend to go out. Um, so they're, they're the main um, sort of characteristics. But what I see happening in um, the suburbs is that there's a lot of connection. Um, people do have neighbourhood parties in their cul-de-sacs and get to know one another really well. And they do uh, they have dog walking parks as well where they connect with one another. So there's a lot of opportunity there uh, yeah, for connection as well. There's a great book called Holy in the Suburbs. And it looks at some of these principles, these practices of kindness and justice and peacemaking mm. mm. um, for the suburbs. Um, and it's it's excellent for exactly that because a lot of these things are completely transferable for yeah, suburbs. Great, great. Well, then let's let's get on to kind of the the real practicalities. You know, I would hope that by now, you know, our congregation is their interest is peaked, their curiosity is is kind of a, a, a open and aware. Um, thinking about what does it look like in those ordinary things. And you've mentioned a handful of them, you know, joining your local mm. community groups, just finding a way to be mm. the presence of God because we bear the presence of God mm. in our PNCs and, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and you also mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, when someone shares an experience actually saying, I wonder if that's God. And then those are like really simple, really practical sorts of things to do. If you were to give people today, I don't know, two or three takeaways, like things to try, you know, learn your neighbor's names or whatever, I don't know, something, you know, two or three or more if they come quickly to the top of your head. What are the sorts of things that you would suggest to us to do mm. to be, to practice? Mm. Because it is a practice thing. It's not a matter of, you know, do it all, practice at home and then go and do it when you're fully skilled, but practice as you go yeah. in, in, our, in our communities. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's starting off with your posture. And so, um, first of all, have a posture of listening. Uh, and so before you do anything, even though you may have been living in your neighbourhood for a long time, uh, listen to your neighbourhood first. Uh, what is going on? Ask those questions, those exegetical or analytical questions about your neighbourhood. What are the stories that aren't being told? Who are the vulnerable? Who's getting marginalised here? Uh, what are the signs of hope? What are the signs of life? What are the signs of death? Where is there trouble? Who's who's struggling in my neighbourhood? Who is being looked past? Can I interrupt just for a second? Like, where would you find those things? Because, like, I, I listen to that and I go, oh, that's that's great. And then I think... Where do you find that? Because they're not going to publish it in the Leader, which is our local Sutherlandshire, you know, newspaper. They're not going to. There's not a website that's yeah. going to say signs of hope in your neighbourhood. Like, where would you look for that sort of stuff? The way I did it was uh, doing walks around the neighbourhood. Uh, it's amazing what happens when you just do walking around your neighbourhood and you're praying at the same time and you're asking God to open your eyes. Um, and so that's where I started seeing things. I started seeing hubs where people would gather. I started seeing which areas the vulnerable congregated in and which areas looked a little bit more well-off or which areas were more family-centric. Um, so it's, it's amazing what happens when you do prayer walks but you, and you ask God to open your eyes. And, in fact, that's one practice I'd encourage. Um, do a prayer walk 
pray, pray with your eyes open. Uh, you know, instead of retreating into your room, praying about some of the stuff that you might be going through, which we all need to do, go outside and look and pray and God will prompt you about what to pray about and also about what to do, what actions to take. So a posture of listening and, and prayer walking, that's a really good concrete practice, I think. Yeah, um, the other thing I would say is have a posture of uh, curiosity rather than judgment, I like to say. And so often as Christians, we're, we, we feel like we have the truth, so we're constantly judging. And it's funny because um, we don't even realize we're doing it. A lot of the times, um, but we we're constantly assessing things through the grid of how we've been shaped as Christians, and we we often will judge things. So if you can, I would encourage people to suspend that judgment and just be curious. You know, instead of looking at somebody who looks a little bit different or um, maybe is doing something that you would really disapprove of as a Christian, um, be curious rather than judgmental. And so, you know, if you can engage with them, if you're friends with them, um, ask them questions about uh, how they're going with that or why do they do that or, you know, just try to connect with them as opposed to judging them. Um, and so I've found that that's helped in my neighbourhood where I see a lot of people doing things that I am really unfamiliar with um, in Surrey Hills. You know, it's a very diverse um, community mm -hmm. and, and it, what's been helpful for me is to be curious rather than um, judgmental. So having those two postures, I think, of listening, being curious, um, not judgmental, and I think then having um, a posture of um, being um, a, somebody who's, um, who isn't necessarily the host but is in situations to serve. Um, because often as Christians we position ourselves as the host. We run the programs or we offer something to the community. But um, instead of doing that first, what I'd recommend is connecting with what is already happening and saying, I'm here to help, I'm here to serve, um, I'm here to participate with you and come alongside of you rather than come with my program to, to fix whatever is going on. That, that might happen later. And I've run programs in the community, but I, I also it, I started off by joining in with what people are already doing. Um, so I think those three things can help, and that leads to the practical things like um, you know joining the local um, community centre or um, go, going to the um, to the whatever people are protesting about in your community. For us, it was the light rail a couple of years ago. Turning up to those things, being a peacemaker in those things. Um, listening to, you know, who are the vulnerable and practicing kindness, all those, all those practical steps. Mm, that's great. Thank you so much. Um, finally, then, what's your dream for the church? You know, if, if the church were to pick up this whole thing, what's your dream for the church? I would uh, love to see the church reorienting towards an, more of an outward focus while still maintaining the gathered presence. Um, I've learned more and more not being a pastor, that the gathered church is so important for our encouragement, um, for being shaped by the stories of Jesus. It's so important. We need to know how to be and we need to know what to say um, to people. Um, but I would want to see the whole church um, discovering its identity as missionaries, really, an old-fashioned word where we all see ourselves as being sent into the world, as coming together to gather, to um, uh, be equipped for being sent out into the world. And that is crucial uh, and so important because we're the ones that are representing and bearing the love of God um, in this world. 
Great. Um, Karina, thank you so much yeah. for being our guest today. No worries. It's been a pleasure. Um, thank you so yeah. much. I think I, would have, I think I would have preferred to have you and your husband, Armin, join us on a Sunday and maybe yeah. have lunch together and that all that kind of stuff. Next time. <laughs> yeah, next time. But uh, this is a, a pretty good substitute. So, And I trust that you know, those of you who have been listening, really challenged by uh, what Karina shared and the opportunity that, that exists for all of us to be the presence of God in our neighborhood. So thanks so much, Karina. God bless you and your ministry. Thank and uh, we we'll hope to see you again Bless soon. you. Thank you. Is there someone you know who really needs to hear this message? Why not share it with them and see what God does through that? And remember, you can always follow us on Facebook or visit our website at gamiabaptist.org.au. And we'd love for you to join us for church at gbconline.org.au at our regular service times of 8.30, 10.30, and 6 Australian Eastern Standard Time. Until next time, God bless.